Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. The Square Ball Podcast. To buy the Squareball magazine, get back issues and podcasts, visit thesquareball.net. In today's pod, we wallow in self-pity at a depressing couple of games. We analyse the transfer window's big Willy Wonty story. We pay tribute to Big Enoch. We preview the magazine's forthcoming interview with Danny Mills, Trezor Candle Semi, and listen to our outlandish predictions, all coming up. Hello, welcome along to the Square Ball Podcast. I'm Dan Moylan, uh, one half of the magazine uh, editing team. Um, with me in the studio, the other half of that team, if I was a fork, he would be my knife. Michael Normanson, welcome along. Hi there. And also in the studio, uh, Square Ball royalty, Daniel Chapman, hereafter referred to as Moscow White. Welcome along. Greetings. And Paul O'Dowd, uh, better known as Oddy. Hi there. Hello. And don't forget, you can get in touch with us, all of us, uh, via podcast at thesquareball.net. Uh, join us on Facebook too. We've got a little group on there, um, and we are getting into the world of Twitter as well. Uh, find us there. The uh, I think the address is twitter.com forward slash the square ball, and we will dive headlong straight into part one, which is white watching. So the first game that we uh, that we had after the last podcast was Leeds against Wickham, Saturday the 9th of January. The person I'm going to turn to first here is you, Michael, because in the last podcast you predicted a comfortable win. You said we were going to comfortably turn Wickham over. What happened? It took a lead, obviously, early on, but we never really created anything else for the rest of the game, and they were well worth a point, probably worth three. don't know. All the uh, work rate of the previous week seems to disappear, and they were the ones closing down, much as we had at Man U. Um, just didn't give us any space, and all credit to them. What do we make of it all there, Moscow? I think, well, my first worries were when they left Dubry out. I thought they'd taken the game seriously, <laughs> and I uh, thought we might be in, in trouble from then on. I know it, it's just been a bit of a theme at some points this season that teams that are lower in the league have just been difficult to break down. We've had those late wins and you, all the way through this game is where we thought, last five minutes we'll get a winner. And it just it didn't come. And it's a bit difficult to rely on that. And Oddie, uh, unbeaten at Ellen Rhodes for 12 months now, is, is it something that's, to be proud of? That's quite an achievement. I think anybody would take a 12-month unbeaten run in any league, I think. They had a good crowd as well. Yeah, uh, is it 24,500? Yeah. Category C. You might, would we have hoped for a few more on that after the Man United win? Or a time's tough financially, just after Christmas and all just that? Just after Christmas, they probably are. They've um, only got a week to try and get a ticket out of the ticket office as well. It can often be a more convoluted process. <laughs> it's just tough watching Wickham as well, really. It's um, it's not when you you tell the grandkids about generally, I don't think. It's, um, if you're going to pick and choose your games, you wouldn't yeah, exactly. necessarily beat a path to that one, would you? Uh, so that one was one all. Uh, House and, just to recap, opening the scoring on four minutes. Pittman equalising on 63. Uh, left as top, 
six points clear with a game in hand of Norwich. Um, and we like a little bit of statting, and uh, that would have put us on 2.375 points per game, looking at 109 points for the season, rounded down. So it's it's a, still a pretty hefty, hefty well, points total. You always presented that as a bad thing, left us top. Tough times. Yeah, well, you get that sort of twitchy feeling mm. when Leeds start doing this, and it happened after the uh, after the Liverpool game last time, didn't it? We started being a bit flaky. Um, and obviously the flakiness continued. Saturday the 16th, Exeter 2. Oh, God, it, it's horrible even reading this out. Exeter 2, Leeds nil, in front of 8,500 people at St. James's Park in the pouring rain. Again, I'm going to turn to you again, Michael, as you were down at this game, uh, in body but possibly not in mind. Yeah, it's maybe the difference here when, with a, between a professional podcast and and this one is that uh, the match reporter might not have turned up to the game having... Uh, Completely annihilated himself on the train down. <laughs> um, Tell us about your day then. How, how did that work out? Well, it was just a bit of a long day. Um, got the train just after seven, drinking all the way down. Went to a pub before kick-off and I, I got to the ground somehow. Got wet, came home. Um, Seems to remember as not being very good. The, the details in between are all a bit a bit sketchy. but Possibly for the best, I think. Yeah. I don't think there was much to save our performance, really. We, I don't really remember any chances. Beckford headed over from fairly close in. Um, that aside, we just looked like we didn't have any ideas. I took the trouble to watch the highlights on OUTV last night, and just as a warning, if anybody's considering it, there are at least there's six minutes of them, as opposed to it's normally 20 minutes, so they've shortened it down, but they're in absolute silence. There's no crowd noise, there's no commentary, there's just... I don't know if they're planning to put like the death march from Star Wars over the top. Is it in black and white? It's all, it may as well be in black and white. Slowed down, but it's it's a brutal six minutes, and that's obviously edited to make us look good. LUTV do have a tendency to make us look a lot better than we were, like against Huddersfield. It, it was in the mag, I think. Uh, Batty Lad commented that it, the halftime highlights package made it look like we'd battered them all game. Oddie, I'll turn to you then as well. Pre-match odds. <laughs> in a two-horse race, this is pretty generous. Exeter at 4-1. to one. We were 7-4 to four on, 5-2 uh, to two for the draw. I, I don't know why anybody would ever give odds like that against Leeds because we're known for falling over, aren't we? We are, yeah. Um, yeah, quite bizarre that anyone but, uh, put those odds on. Um, January always uh, has been a, a tricky period for us before. Um, it looks like it's going to be the same again. Uh, we just need a good win to bounce back off that. We just need to put it behind us. So that leaves us top still. <laughs> uh, 25 games played, 57 points in the bag, plus 30 goal difference. Norwich second. Played a game more, three points less, uh, with one goal better off. Obviously, they beat Colchester 5 0 and sent a real, a real signal to the rest of the division, didn't they? I don't know if it was just because it was Colchester and they were angry. Um, I'm not sure Norwich are five goals better than. Huddersfield or a place behind Colchester, but I think the opening days events kind of did something to Norwich. Plus, it's the it's Lambert as manager who will have had a point to prove to his old employers. So, I, I, although it is worrying that East Anglia's Brazil are closing up on us, I'm not sure they're as good as perhaps they're pretending to be. I'm starting to think Norwich might even finish top now. As long as we get second, I don't really care too much about. It's just a worry that Charlton are doing so well I mean I'm sure if you look back over previous stats um, 51 points of third place is a fantastic sort of total this this stage of the season you just got to hope they don't manage to sustain it throughout psychologically uh, Norwich could go top on Saturday because we're not playing it is only the second defeat though should we be yeah, yeah. keep it keep it in context to be fair it's uh, yeah. 
I think, is, it, is it time for cool heads? I think so. I think it hurts as well because it's Exeter. I mean, I was looking at the other league tables. They're 15th. They've only lost two at home. If we'd lost that game in the Championship, it would have been at Coventry, which maybe wouldn't have sounded quite as bad, but there's something about Exeter where you can see somebody's bedroom from the from the pitch. And it's where were you looking? <laughs> LUTV. I didn't edit the highlights. They, they zoom in from some very interesting angles. Um and, but it's just those words, Exeter City, the Grecians, two, Leeds United, nil. But if it was just the 15th place team, two, Leeds United, nil, maybe you could deal with it a bit more easily. As it was, I was wanting to punch the walls on Saturday night and I didn't even go. And just a final note on uh, this game then, uh, about the, the, the crushing, there's been some talk on the forums of, of, of the crushing near the entrances, two turnstiles um, on the terrace, and it was all a little bit old school, and it's worth noting that Leeds of today said they've written to Exeter for their comments. Yeah, I think it's just the, a ground that's not used to dealing with that many people. It's, um, I mean, Exeter, are, it's a pretty much as equivalent of a non-league stadium, so it's more more used to having like 50 away fans from Grey's Athletic or something than... Uh, you know, two two thousand Leeds fans, and there was some talk about as well. They moved Leeds fans from other areas of the ground into the away end as well, which uh, probably won't have helped. I was I, mean, I was in the middle of the terrace when it was going on, and you could sort of see there was a bit of something happening. But I don't think anything was. I don't. I don't think it was as bad as maybe people are making out. It's just um, by modern standards, it just isn't really something that happens anymore. But uh, I'm sure anyone who went went in the old days of terracing will have not been really worried by it at all. It's worth probably giving a nod to uh, Devon and Cornwall police who've probably never had to deal with anything like this before in their whole existence. So I, I, is it just me? I imagine them to have a bit of a Dixon of Dot Green type uh, existence down there in, in the countryside and, and you know a couple of thousand Leeds fans marauding into town probably uh, worried them a little bit. Drinking vodka on the train since seven. Hooligans. Um, so yeah, they, they, apparently the, and the reason I mentioned this is because they bust loads of fans in, didn't they, about quarter to three and... Uh, uh, the, the the carrying capacity for the turnstiles is about 450 people an hour and there was some toothless oik on the turnstile with his child in there tearing the tickets. I think it was all just a, a little bit parochial from what I understand and the logistics didn't quite, you know, didn't all quite work out on that front. That, that, that actually is a fact. It was a, a toothless oik with his child in the turnstile as well. I don't know if you read that, but that is... Uh... That's the guy I had, yeah. <laughs> so it's probably best if we if we wrap that bit up and, uh, and move on from the last couple of games because they've been all in all pretty depressing and we'll move on to part two right now. www.thesquareball.net Right back into it and part two of the Squareball podcast. We have a look back at the last 14 days of life at Leeds United and obviously all the talk has been about the transfer window and... The uh, to use a well-worn cliche, a week's a long time in football. This fortnight has felt like a lifetime, hasn't it? To uh, to go back to the start, uh, straight after the Man United game, uh, we were all riding the crest of a a big Jermaine Beckford wave, and then it emerges that the transfer request has gone in. Then it emerges that the transfer request actually went in before the Man United game on December the thirtieth, and then we find out that him being listed in the summer was actually down to a transfer request on his part, and they talked him round, and then the request gets withdrawn. So where do we start? Well, he's staying for now. For now, for now, yeah. He's well. His commitment until May is, I'm sure, valued by everybody. Um, somebody needs to tell him to get new representation. I think. Do we, do we blame the agent? Yes, Nick Rubri. Yeah, well, we may as well name him Nick Rubri. I think everything just seems to emanate from that guy. I think Jermaine Beckford, in a way, might be caught in the in the midst of it. It sounds like you're being soft on somebody that's put in two transfer requests, but. 
he seems to be in a situation where I think he would be perfectly happy to play for Leeds United for as long as they're willing to keep him. But he's got an agent who keeps telling him, ah, oh, yeah, but if you went to Newcastle, you'd uh, triple your wages and you want that. And, and he's always in his ear. And it's been revealing that the two times that he's been talked around, it's while he's been in either Ireland or in Exeter, where presumably I doubt Nick Rubery would lower himself to go to Exeter for a weekend. And I've got this vision of Glenn Snodding cornering Beckford with a, I don't know, like a, a, a miniature statue of Billy Bremner <laughs> beating him until he agrees to stay, <laughs> just hammering some sense into him. And, uh, and yeah, I'm sure a lot of this would be solved if somebody could just make his agent disappear. Can we be that annoyed at the agent, though, because this is what agents do? Um, probably not. Because um, he's got to look after his client's interests and his interests. and His 10%, as it were. And it, Beckford can definitely be earning more money elsewhere. And given that one of his other clients is um, Ollie Hotchkiss, who's just gone to Mansfield, I doubt his, his 10% he's getting of his <laughs> 300 quid a week or whatever he'll be on there, he'll, he'll be sustaining his, the lifestyle he was hoping for. What do we think about how the club have handled this? Have they played it right? Well, it seems very much in keeping with Grayson's style that players coming in, you don't hear about players going out. You don't hear much about, it's like last week, we just had three youth team players, Shumley and Hotchkiss, just went and nobody really knew anything about it. But the Shumley thing must have been happening with Falkirk. I guess the uh, the tabloids wouldn't have been quite as interested in the the willy won't he go to Falkirk <laughs> Enoch story. But, you have seen the papers in Falkirk. <laughs> but it does seem to be... His style to just whatever's happening behind the scenes at the club, just don't tell anyone. Even from last summer, it's always been three options. He stays, he goes, if we get a decent fee. Or, or he lumps it. Or, <laughs> what was the third option? We shoot him. <laughs> don't don't punch. We Let's not broadcast that. Billy <laughs> yeah, we, we, we get him around the head with a Billy Bremner statue. <laughs> I think the, the deal with Newcastle, the, the sort of the, the desperation of getting the transfer request in, and all the things that have been in the papers and his agent going on the radio, seems to me that it was only going to happen this window. And if it goes to the summer, Newcastle aren't interested anymore. And I, I wonder with our finances, if we'd been promoted in May, we'd have given him a contract and the whole thing would have been absolutely sorted. But the the club seem, almost compared to the Ridsdale days, it's kind of nice that they're wary of paying a championship wage in League One, which is what he wants. He wants a championship wage because he's good enough for that just about. The club obviously thinking, well, we're not going to pay championship wages when we're not in the championship. From his point of view, you can see that he would be frustrated that he sees people like Robinson and Mikulik sat on the bench getting paid more than him, and yet he's he's mm. been scoring consistently for three seasons now, and yet he's still, he's still nowhere near the highest paid player at the club. I mean, from Beckford's point of view, I can see why he, he would want to chase the money a bit because he's not had many years in the game he's not we're not talking about Ashley Cole quibbling over 100 grand or 120 grand I mean it, it does it will make a difference to Beckford's entire life if he gets paid 25 grand now all of a sudden having been paid five up to this point he's not got many years of, of money in the bank and for a, for a striker like him who sort of is dependent on pace you've got to think this is his, this next contract he gets will be his big his one. big contract, yeah. and after that he might drop down the leagues again in a kind of a, you know a Barry Hales esque sort of figure, come from non league and then have a couple of years and slip back down. And for those words, thank you, Nick Rubery. <laughs> <laughs> but it's all, it it always seems like he's as uh, he's got the same concerns about his prospects as we all do because 
I don't think any of us are absolutely certain that he'll be good enough for the championship and certainly does. Nobody really thinks he's good enough for the premiership. That's got to be in his mind as well. That he's thinking, well, if I go up, I might not be able to do this again. So I've got to get it now. All right, then put a different slant on it. Um, he's staying for now. That's that's given. Question from the from the forum from Dodds who's saying. Uh, even though Beckford is staying until the end of the season at least, do we need another striker who can get goals just in case he gets injured, suspended, slash is crap? Um, the others we have don't inspire confidence that they could replace him. Is that fair, Moscow? I think it's fair. Um, Becchio hasn't been as good as he was before he got injured since coming back. Um, after those two, there's uh, Michelle Grella, as the reserve team sheets revealed his, his real name's not Mickey or Mike. Um, and then there's, who else we've got? David Sommer. Davide Sommer. <laughs> See, we've got all these all these reserve strikers with sort of foreign girls' names. I don't know if there's <laughs> it's R- Raquel is uh, waiting in the in the youth team somewhere. <laughs> so, do we fancy some of the names that have been touted? Uh, names like Sharp, Hooper, Harewood. I'm not sure I'm comfortable having a, a man who looks like Homer Simpson and kind of the late Jade Goody mixed together <laughs> as uh, as the lead striker. But you've got Hooper, who's at Scunthorpe. Very young still. Is he the sort of player we want to be looking at? He's, what, is he 21, 22-ish? And um, he's, I think he's got a year left on his contract. Can't stop scoring goals. You know, so might they look to cash in in the summer with a year left on his contract if he makes the noises that he's interested in leaving? Well, in the summer, yeah. I mean, I'd take either Sharp or Hooper. But for now, um, I don't think Ethan would come as understudies to Beckford. So that's kind of the downside of Beckford staying is that we're not going to be able to get a striker of that quality in this window to just come and sit on the bench while he ponces around until his contract runs out. Hooper, from what we saw of him um, against us last year, I think he scored in both games um, and he has he has looked very good in the bits I've seen of him. And the fact he, he was sort of, there was kind of noises made in the press that if we did bid, he would be interested, which is sort of telling really that we can poach players from, from the league above, even though we're... Uh, We've been massively hypocritical because, you know, well, yeah, I dare say it's an, an agent yeah. behind it who's Absolutely. Yeah. pulling the string. But, but that's, that's all right because it's us. That's the, joy, <laughs> that's the joy of football, isn't it? He needs to get a transfer request in pretty sharpish. Yeah. Make his intentions <laughs> we'll, be known. We'll pay him twice as much. <laughs> it seems like that where the, the deal has been done with uh, Newcastle and Rubery and uh, and Houghton has just been trying to push it through in the press. And yeah, he can sod off and let us get on with poaching players like a <laughs> it's all I think big clubs should be allowed to poach players Newcastle eh, not so much not. is Gradle the answer to maybe our, our attacking striking needs because he's played up there he doesn't look very effective up front though has he when he's played there um, at 200 grand as was touted in the uh, in the Leicester press would that be a steal do we want him Leicester seem to be amenable in this respect Oddie on the Wickham performance probably not no but everybody was poor He's added something to the team, even if he's a, an impact player. I was astonished, really, that 200 grand was mentioned. I thought mm. they'd be, given that he's, he's had won us quite a lot of points, I thought they'd be asking for at least sort of towards a million pounds from him. For, for 200 grand, I'd, uh, I'd definitely take him. It's worth a punt. Yeah, I think if, even if he only wins us another you know, three points, we might not have won this season. It might be all important. And with, the, with extra money we presumably have, have not accounted for this year um, from the cup run and things, I think it's just. We should, must be able to afford him, you would think. 100,000 was uh, bought with Schwumney. 200,000 to get us Gradle. It's worth a worth a punt. Keeping him till summer on loan would probably be the ideal. I think Leicester have indicated that's, that they're not willing to do that, though, haven't they? Um, it's an either or. 
Yeah, I think, back I think they want they want the money, much as we did with Candor, really, when uh, teams are wanting to loan, continually loan him. And I think we just had to mm. draw a line and say, we, you know, if you're having him, then you're paying for him. If we're not, we're not just uh, here for charity. You mentioned um, Candor, a rumor that's uh, surfaced just today uh, about a possible swap deal um, with Oldham. This one's sort of apparently coming from an insider at Oldham that uh, we've got a, a semi swap deal lined up with Candor uh, going to Oldham and Chris Taylor, who's been a often uh, talked about target for us, isn't he, coming the other way. But apparently Candle's not interested in Oldham, and who can blame him? <laughs> Just, I'm still thinking about Candle's semi, with semi-swap. Um, <laughs> I didn't mean to bring Trezor's... Uh... Anyway, uh, <laughs> we seem to have been linked with Taylor for about three years now, just uh, over and over again, and nothing ever really seems to come of it. So, um, I don't know, wait and see, I suppose. I think Candle he seems to have bizarrely gone out of favour again now, after he came in and... Did quite well, then got sent off. Got and sent he, off. He seemed, yeah. I think he was in, he's injured again because he bizarrely popped up in the commentary box on Radio Bates during the Exeter game. But it does seem to be the story of his season that he sort of appears and then something happens and he disappears again. And I don't know, he, he may be becoming sort of yesterday's player. In the last Leeds 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 magazine, there was um, a bit of an interview with him about that and they asked him about that sending off. And he's, he's quoted something like, uh, I went to investigate what was happening. <laughs> it sounds like a police statement. <laughs> yeah, it was brilliant. It was, it was something along the lines of, uh, and this guy was in my face saying, what are you going to do about it? And I said, this is what I'm going to do about it, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> Finally then on, on the Leeds front, Shawunmi, gone to Falkirk, as we mentioned before. Bless him. Moment silence, please. Thank <laughs> you, uh, Enoch. Uh, I, I think we should definitely look at some sort of tribute edition uh, later in the season to uh, sadly departed Enoch I think he's going to be one of those players that people will, will talk about in years to come as in a kind of Christ did he really play for us sort of, sort of way I think that's it's almost unfair because he wasn't the worst player I've seen at Leeds even in recent seasons he just made really stupid mistakes all the time <laughs> But then, isn't, isn't that the mark of a bad player? <laughs> well, I always think about the Huddersfield game when he attempted that back heel and fell over and there was there was anger and resentment milling around the stadium. But then he got up and he got the ball again about five minutes later, beat a player, got to the touchline, put a cross in, there's nobody there. But nobody remembers the fact that he actually did one thing right. And right. He did two things because as soon as he came on, he won a header. Which yes. Beckford hadn't done all game. No. And he scored at Scunthorpe on that the opening day that time. That was a nice And he's obviously nice he's contributed towards our potential uh, Wembley visit because he scored against Darlington, didn't he? So yes, he has. That, that game summed him up, really, because he, he scored with a kind of an unconvincing finish and then he had one, I think it was like a volley off the outside of his boot that went out for a throw-in. and It was just one of those things that you, you sort of feel for him because you sense that he's somehow a really nice guy. Like He, he always comes across quite well, but I've kind of, despite willing him to do well, he's just not... Not really got it, has he? And we'll leave that there. Uh, don't forget, if you want to get in touch, you can do. Uh, plenty of ways to do it. Podcast at the squareball.net is the email address. You can contact us on Facebook. Just search for The Square Ball. And we are on Twitter as well, twitter.com forward slash The Square Ball. Um, we'll be back in a moment then with part three. www.thesquareball.net Part three then of the Square Ball podcast, and this is our feature section today. We're going to have a concentrate on uh, David O'Leary, uh, love him or hate him, and we do this because in the forthcoming issue of the Square Ball magazine, which uh, is coming out Saturday the thirtieth of January, uh, the Colchester home match, we've got an interview with uh, Danny Mills. 
subject to uh, lawyer's approval. Uh, in it, if you heard the preview in the previous podcast, he describes O'Leary as tactically inept. He suggests he was a, a poor man manager. So throw this one open to you guys then. How do we reflect on, on David O'Leary's tenure uh, in charge of Leeds United? Looking back on it now, sort of nine, ten years on. I'll come to you first, Oddie. I liked him. I think we all did at the time, didn't we? <laughs> you still? Uh, no. Uh, reflecting back on what we had before, that was George Graham and some dire football. Tighten up the defence. Uh, made us uh, a lot more solid, but going forward, not much, really. And then with O'Leary, everybody wanted him. It was the, the fans' choice. Um, and he, he turned it into an attacking team. Um, everybody liked us, which was a bit uncomfortable. Uh, although a bit tiresome with his babes and... Well, that's, yeah. that's something that Danny Mills uh, kind of hints at, that, that, yeah. that it's something the players became a little bit sick of and it, and it became a mantra that wore a little bit thin. Perhaps he wasn't as well-liked in the dressing room as, as, uh, as we all thought. I think what's come about in the years since and sort of towards the end of it was just this feeling that, and I think Danny Mills hints at it, this feeling that David O'Leary didn't really seem to know what it was he'd done right. Like he'd managed to get Leeds playing brilliantly um, as a response to the George Graham era and he was playing the youth team players that Graham was ignoring. And But then he didn't seem to understand that that was what it was he'd done that was working and then so he started signing every striker who could get his hands on and he, and then when it started to go wrong he didn't have the ability to change it and it always seemed like he got lucky and then when things got difficult he had he had nothing left to bring no to football B. management no plan B even I think Robbie Fowler was the, the signing that really made me stop and wonder what was going on signing too far yeah and that was before we'd even got to the likes of Seth Johnson the feeling I got with Ridsdale, with the Ferdinand signing, that we would a lot of the things we were doing were more like we were playing at being big club it's rather like, than like a teenager on champ manager trying to buy all the big players sort of thing. Yeah, and Mills again hints at that when he's saying about how enthusiastic Ridsdale was and and how he was basically just an enthusiastic fan. And you could see that when he's dragging Rio Ferdinand out on the pitch at <laughs> half-time and when we're presenting Robbie Fowler as Liverpool's hero, is going to be our hero. And it lost sight of the fact that it was the babies and the youth team players. It really got us into the position where we were we were media darlings and top of the league. I think what you say about playing at being a big club, um, trying to spend money and things, it, it reminds me a bit of when... Um, one of O'Leary's probably his first signings actually when he signed um, Jubri for four and a half million and he was sorry he, did we really do that <laughs> yeah he kind of um, he justified it because we'd sold Weatherall to Bradford for a million or whatever it was and he, he he kind of he kind of explained it by saying and because we've sold Weatherall for this it means we've managed to get Michael Jubri for only this really and on reflection obviously David Weatherall was a infinitely better player but mm. at, at the time I think it was uh Getting a player, a young English player off Chelsea, and I think he, he was it was kind of a we were in for every young thing. English player that there was. Yeah. They, and he had that famous statement about um, the likes of the Weatheralls yeah. and Molinars, which I hated at the time. Yeah. I think that was around the Ferdinand signing, mm-hmm. and I remember thinking, "What? You don't get this, mm-hmm. you absolute tit!" Just say didn't see around for the Paul Butlers and the and the. Uh, <laughs> We just didn't understand that for, from the fans' perspective. It didn't matter how much they cost. I mean, 
Rio Ferdinand may have arrived with an £80 million price tag, but that's not what you remember about a player. At the end of it, you remember a player like David Weatherall and Robert Molinar, who were absolutely fantastic players for Leeds. You don't remember how much they cost. And that was one thing Ridsdale just... One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Didn't seem to understand as he paraded progressively more expensive teenagers in front of in front of the West Stand. I think that was one of O'Leary's failings as well, was that he almost wanted to distance himself from George Graham that much. He shipped out all of his players very, very quickly, even the ones who'd done really a good job for us, um, and just tried to make it his team instantly, um, which, which maybe led to us overstretching ourselves a little bit in, in areas where we could have saved. Like There was nothing wrong with Weatherall, and then we went mm. and bought Jubri, who, as it turned out, was bloody awful. But I, I think at the time I signed him, I thought, well, he's... Not too bad of a. He's not. It was more of. He's not. It was a filler, wasn't he? It, wasn't, player, it wasn't a player to build the squad. You know, and I know we. It seems to be like doing it backwards, doesn't it? Spending four and a half million pounds on a squad player rather than saying on a young player who's going to add something to the squad. He was. It was bought as an understudy, wasn't it? Yeah, and it sounds like a kind of we're talking about the eighties there or something. But four and a half million then was was a lot more money than it is now. It was particularly for a central defender. That was a, that was a big sum of money to be paying for someone like that. Uh, and like I say, someone who was not. Not really going to be like someone to build a team around. We all trusted him though, because O'Leary, being a central defender, say, oh, he knows a central defender. He'll turn Dubry into uh, something really special. Going back to Rio Ferdinand, uh, my dad was in the club shop in used to have one in the White Rose Centre, and he was in there, and he happened to bump into Ridsdale, and he was there uh, talking about stuff, and he was saying, um, first of all, he mentioned uh, Hasselbank. That at that point, uh, when they sold Hasselbank, he was after. 80,000 a week, even back then, before they sold him to uh, Atletico Madrid. But he also mentioned that um, Rio Ferdinand cost closer to 20 million with signing on fees mm. and agents' fees factored in. 
um, and we got more like 24 million when we sold him because everything after 24 million was incentivized. I think they've got most of the incentivization, but mm. again, they paid agents fees and so on. So we, we probably mm. broke about even on Ferdinand, contrary to the 18 million, 30 million thing. So it just shows how profligate we were, really. It did seem that signing, especially, did seem to be Rio Ferdinand was the biggest young English player around, and we bought him. And it seemed like at least 60% of that signing was because he he was who he was. Symbol. Yeah. The trinket. Yeah, and it was... And you only had to look at um, the first game he played away at Leicester when suddenly O'Leary put us to three centre-backs, Woodgate, Radderby and uh, Ferdinand, and we lost, was it 3-1? Which made you think, well, if we were doing all right with just Woodgate and Radderby, why spend £18 million to throw in a third one and make the team that much worse and then it became a, an issue then of who was actually going to play there seemed to be no constructive direction did there that was the thing no. between him and uh, Ridsdale a, a deadly combination really yeah. I think. just to go back to the imbalance of the squad thing as well O'Leary is always very keen to indicate that he had no, nothing to do with the finances he just put forward players names to be signed and things but that doesn't excuse the fact that he didn't buy a left back and he didn't buy a right winger when when these were positions we needed I mean maybe, some, maybe he should have had someone above him saying do we really need another central, mid- central midfielder? Do we really need another striker? Let's let's look at weak positions. But that's as the manager, that was his job, and that's something he's never actually accepted responsibility for. Was that he, he failed to buy the right positions? The party line was that he he gave the the chairman a list of players, didn't he? And I think the chairman probably took it a little bit too literally and, and went out to try and buy them, <laughs> them all yeah. from the top. Yeah, just what worked down. Yeah. Um, Apart know, from um, Lampard. Of course. We thought was overvalued at yeah. eleven million. And how wrong we were. Yeah. Um yeah, and so why why did they go why was there not more I've just failed to accept that he didn't know that, you know which players we were going for. He's got to take responsibility for that. Mm. He won't, but he yeah. He should. <laughs> Something that one of the posters on the forum, Alien Bum Notes, said I recall David O'Leary's tenure with fondness. Um yes, the man is completely delusional who rates himself alongside Ferguson, Revy uh, Clough and Shankly in terms of ability as a manager. That said, some of the football delivered by his various sides was absolutely exquisite. The, the Deportivo game at home, for example, was quite simply the best night I've ha- ever had at Ellen Road. Cheers, David O'Leary. Now, F off. Does that sum it up quite well? It sums it up, I think, yeah. We had some great nights, but it was... Don't come back. Was it all built on sand, the whole empire? It needn't have been, though. That's the, that's the frustrating thing about it. We we had such a good like core of young players that we didn't pay anything for. And there was potential there for someone who knew what they were doing to just just add to it in the right places, and it, it's just a waste, really. Now, when you look back at the um, the talent we actually had there, and the odd sign, the odd big signing is fine for for teams, but we just seem to spend money ridiculously, um, and all feels like it ebbed away for no good, no good reason, really. Uh, so sitting here as we are, top of League One, in this glorious position, um, looking back on it now, living the dream and all that nonsense, would we? trade the two off, you know, the Champions League, get rid of it all, be mediocre for a few years in the Premier League, you know, finish the table a couple of times and have avoided all this sorry mess. It's ups and downs, surely. I don't know, it depends what, you, you can never say, because if, if we'd have ticked along for a couple more years, then gone on to start winning things, had some good runs in Europe and still been up there, that's one thing, but if it had been the option of doing well, getting into Europe and then getting relegated or just plodding relentlessly in, in mid-table like some teams do, then I'd, I'd have rather just gone gone to the top and come down again because at least it's been interesting. It's, uh, yeah, there's, nothing, there's nothing worse than boredom. My only bugbear is that we didn't 
win anything. Yeah, we never actually thing. achieved anything like apart from a good like European run. Portsmouth at the moment, they're, they're going to go bust now, but they won the FA Cup, and that's really the best they can ever expect to do. So you'd chop your right arm off for that, wouldn't exactly. you? Exactly, just won a, a cup, I mean, especially now given how unseriously teams seem to take the cup these days. You know, it's perfectly winnable, isn't it? We might win it this year. You never know. But I, I would take our current position um, much more easily if we could somehow tape up. David O'Leary and Peter Ridsdale's mouths. If they could just stop talking about that time, then I could remember it much more fondly than I do. And it would maybe wouldn't be, it perhaps wouldn't even be an issue of would we swap one for the other because you could just look back and say, well, yeah, those were fantastic times. But now you look back and say, they were fantastic times, but the manager's an idiot and the chairman was incompetent. And uh, we found out that the, everything was fine. Yeah, the players hated them. <laughs> <laughs> I did see someone on the forum posting, I think I can't remember if it was about talking about the, a video or something from that time. But the problem is when, when you see a goal scored, there's just more and more twats come into the picture like you see yeah. Kewell comes sprinting in and then Smith comes storming in and you're thinking oh god you again you. Yeah. we have to really see these people did you put there it's like you were saying about us not actually winning anything during his uh, tenure because he's, he's in his recent interview he said people forget that I left them in fifth place in the Premier League and he's forgotten that his job was to get us to fourth and it's that disconnects we are done fifth under George Graham, haven't we? Had we? You got close. Yeah, yeah we got fifth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Wilkinson was getting us to fifth every season. Um, it wasn't It wasn't his job. So looking back on that as a great achievement, I didn't win anything, but I got us to a, a place less than uh, would have guaranteed us Champions League football, which is what I was employed for. And had a hugely imbalanced squad and a massive debt to boot. Yes, I don't see why anybody judges him harshly. Uh, certainly Danny Mills least of all yeah. you can read the transcripts of the interview in the next Squareball magazine subject to getting lawyer approval we've made a, a few references to this and it is worth pointing out that um, if we publish the whole thing unedited it's quite likely we could end up in court uh, sued for defamation of character on, on O'Leary uh, well. because Danny Mills is rather scathing of him uh, so we'll we'll get the nicely edited version out uh, in the magazine it's coming out January 30th for the Colchester home match oh, I was going to say about the um the legal issues with with the interview because I wasn't involved in doing the interview but when I read the transcript it kind of it sent a a shiver up my spine as I realised that square balls moving from just being sort of a happy-go-lucky fancy into actual actually being at the forefront of serious investigative journalism and nobody's really doing it for Leeds United there's David Conn at the Guardian sort of doing bits but it was only there's a moment in the interview which I've I've marked which I won't read out Danny Mills's answer because it's uh, it's the kind of thing that could get us into trouble. But the question, just as stated, is uh, the square ball ask Danny Mills, "Have you ever been in David Batty's caravan?" And at that moment, when I read that, I knew that the square ball had just we'd arrived in the uh, in the media world, <laughs> and we were not going to flinch from asking those hard hitting questions that other people are, are scared to ask. So the next issue. If we can actually publish what he says about being in, or, well, we can't say whether he was in David Vite's caravan at this stage until we've had word from the solicitors. <laughs> and after all that uh, self fanfare blowing, we will end part three and move on in a second to part four, having a look at what's coming up in the next couple of weeks. www.thesquareball.net. Right back into it, the fourth and final part of the Squareball podcast, a look at what's coming up in this next fortnight or so. Uh, just a heads up on the next podcast that will be out Wednesday the 2nd or Thursday the 3rd of February depending on the potential 
Spurs Cup replay. We can't come in and record it on the Monday night before the Spurs game because I'm away visiting my in-laws um, in Hampshire, which will be ace. Um, so we're going to have to do it a day or two late, if that's all right with everybody out there. No. Oh, us? Well, I mean, we've been yelling at you about it for the last hour and you've not changed your mind. I don't know if anyone emailing in is going to... Coming up before the next podcast, then uh, first game, which will be today as this is released, uh, the Carlisle, the blockbuster Carlisle home, Johnston's Paint Trophy Northern Final first leg at Ellen Road. Do we have anything of any significance to say about this tournament? Do we want to win it? It's almost an insult that the Northern Finals made over two legs. It's like when I got to this stage, thought just just have one game. Do we even get a trophy for winning the Northern Final? I no, think we should get at least some sort of pot. I don't know. Do you get a trophy? It's a final. It's a final, but it's not. It's a semi-final. I don't know why they don't just call because it we, a we rosette. Could, a semi-final. <laughs> <laughs> we could take being the Northern champions and put that in the trophy cabinet, and then we could just dispense with all the Wembley heartache that will inevitably yeah. happen. Yeah. Um, uh, competition odds we are <laughs> why I don't know probably just due to the scale of betting I think uh, competition odds uh, I think these were from William Hill uh, Leeds 11 to 10 favourites Southampton second uh, 9 to 4 uh, McDonald's MK Dons 10 to 3 and the Outsiders Carlisle 6 to 1 the, the people who set these odds do they never watch us do they not know about our history we're not, actually, we never play full side in this either do they so, um, we do traditionally quite badly against Carlisle so. yeah they're, they're, they're a bit of a bogey side aren't they you're going to put a pound on Carlisle I might well do five, put five pounds on Carlisle you know what I don't actually care enough to put any money on it at all no. I, don't, I don't I think I compared it in the uh, the mag to the football equivalent of having to do PE in your, uh, <laughs> your your pants and vest it's just an embarrassment <laughs> of a competition that you've been you sort of get forced into for, for being bad or something <laughs> And worth mentioning, it's, it's a category C match. I, I, you know, we everyone bitches about all the number of category A matches against the likes of Hartlepool and and so on, and Colchester that's coming up as well. Um, and yet, doesn't it just feel like a bit of a punch to the stomach whenever you see a category C match because you know it's going to be an awful game with a, a small crowd and a and a bad atmosphere. It's the most expensive of the uh, the game so far, I think. Is it in, in this competition? It's been a tenner so far. Has it? It's been. A, I'm on the automatic. Cup schemes thing where they just they just rob money out of my account whenever, <laughs> whenever they fancy it. I'm not even entirely sure. But well, I can't um, agree, so you can't be too bad for a final. It is a final after all. <laughs> but isn't it, this is almost the first decent competition we've had in in the whole JPT, which has been why I've been in favour of us staying in it because all the way along it's like who do we lose to? Accrington, Darlington. There's never been a game where you thought we can lose that with self-respect. There's no graceful exit there, is there? No, and so and so we've ended up in a two-legged Northern Area final, and that's what's going to be even worse if we get through and franchise get through, and the final of the JPT at Wembley is Leeds against MK Dons, who you know it's a glorified team-stealing hockey club managed by Paul Ince. It's just the worst. And we will lose because it's fine. Yeah, and then we'll lose, and then they'll have a trophy. In fact, I always give it to them. They can keep winning rubbish tin pot trophies and let proper football teams get on with winning the FA Cup, which we're nailed on for. Well, it's a shoo-in. Well, that, that leads us nice. I'll segue nicely into uh, Saturday, the 23rd, next Saturday. Uh, Tottenham Hotspur away, FA Cup fourth round, tea time kickoff, live on ITV1, cliche FA Cup coverage. Um Nice to see another lot of Leeds fans going back to a Premier League ground. 4,200 tickets at 25 quid. Yeah, excellent. It makes uh, makes the Johnston's paint seem 
a bit more expensive, I suppose, when that's coming up the week after. But yes, I was pleasantly surprised. I think I think people were expecting uh, fifty quid or something for Spurs, but we were always we'd always sell it out though. I think for a, a game like this anyway. But yeah, it should be it should be another nice day out. I, I'm almost certain we won't get anything out of this one. But I, I almost want a respectable defeat. I think so we can get mm. back to concentrating on the league. And it yeah. sounds a silly thing to say, but I'm getting worried now that. Uh, we're getting our taking. We're going to blow it and win the game, and yeah, and, and we'll we'll inevitably get like a, a championship side in the fifth round if we went through and just balls it up there against somebody really mediocre. Because you know you get the honest feeling is we're not going to win it, so we might as well just go out now quietly and with that dignity. Was, that was what was so good about the Liverpool game in the League Cup. That was almost a perfect night to play so brilliantly with such hunger, and uh, and then to uh, to lose one nil and not have to worry about the League Cup anymore. That I left. I was in a. I was in a very jolly mood, which is unusual after losing a game. Well, our odds for the FA Cup slightly longer than the JPT. Uh, you can get sort of 150, 200 to one on Leeds to win the the, the competition. Uh, Spurs, our opponents in the fourth round, five to one. Chelsea, the eleven to four favourites. Have you investigated our odds for winning the FA Cup and not getting promoted? Can we get the, that as a bet? Because I'd put a pound on that. <laughs> So I'll ask you for your predictions for those two cup matches then. What what are we going to say for Carlisle at home? Seeing as you were so inspirational, Michael. Uh, we'll lose them both. With your prediction for the, for the Wickham game. <laughs> we'll lose both comfortably. You think? I, I don't want to predict anymore after that last uh, horrible effort. But um, I wouldn't be surprised to see us draw against Carlisle. Because um, I think we'll put out a weak inside. They'll probably be taking it quite seriously. Um, and then Spurs. You, you've, got to, you've got to guess we'll, we'll lose. I mean... Lennon against Hughes. Look at that on paper. That's, uh, <laughs> well, actually, just to, just to interject there, there was one of the posts on the forum, uh, and it was Ards suggesting that maybe we should play Ad White at left back to nullify the pace of Lennon. Any uh, any sense in that, or do you think we'll try and crowd the midfield instead? It might not be a bad idea. The only danger would be that if he gets completely taken to pieces, it might. Shatter it might completely ruin him. But <laughs> we might be better playing Richard Naylor at left back to uh, nullify. Um, everything <laughs> about it. Like it. <laughs> so go on then what, what you're saying for that you're thinking defeat against Tottenham and draw against Carlisle yeah Oddie I'll come to you then I think we'll beat Carlisle yep and lose at Carlisle um, but hopefully not get through <laughs> and Tottenham, um, how do you, and Tottenham it's hard to, hard to call isn't it anyway it, well, it's not <laughs> we will lose <laughs> if you saw the way they battered Hull at the weekend and their yeah. goalkeeper their goalkeeper stopped them from getting beaten 10-0 and our goalkeeper is likely to be Casper Ankergren. Help them win. Yeah. It was good on. It was to be fair to Casper actually. He was very good against um, Exeter. He's one of the few to emerge with any credit mm. from it. Really, he made a couple of quite good saves. Is, is there an argument to say that we're we're a bit of an unknown quantity to these Premier League sides, whereas we're not an unknown quantity to the sides in our own division, which is why they're finding us out a little bit. Well, there's there's more pressure on uh, Tottenham to beat us than there was on Exeter. Exeter, Exeter could get away with just packing the midfield and uh, and. Doing stuff to us to win the game. <laughs> <laughs> Sniping the game. Fucking midfield and doing stuff to us. <laughs> That's staying in. It, it, it's a plan. <laughs> the, uh, ta- Are you trying to suggest the that- tactical geniuses at uh, Exeter? <laughs> You've been listening to too many Howard Wilkinson. I love the, well, team. This is, um... the team talk. Just get out there and pack <laughs> that midfield. <laughs> So, going back to that, you're thinking, rather than us facing a side that's going to stifle midfield, we might do all right against the... There should be some room for uh, Kilkenny and Doyle to pull their 
Cruyff and Maradona-esque magic around the, the middle of White Hart Lane. Go on, and what do you reckon for the Carlisle game prediction for that? Oh, it's impossible to predict. It depends who... I mean, I almost think we should try and get Schwimley back on loan just because we don't <laughs> have to play anybody good. Um, there will be a football match. It will be dire. Um, and then there'll have to be another one before we even know who's going to win it. Eight all. <laughs> and then go on and Spurs. Uh, eight all. <laughs> I don't know, but Tottenham. I, I think they'll. Uh, I think they'll beat us. Um, and I think ITV's cliche-ridden coverage is going to be filled. They will mention if Tottenham win, Leeds United failing to live the FA Cup dream will be the theme of the last sort of twenty minutes when Tottenham are three 0 up and just sort of passing it around, and they'll go back to. Uh, Leeds United's descent from the glory days under O'Leary when, and there'll be a goldfish reference. That's, and I'm going to have to probably, what time? Saturday night. Second half kicks off. Seven o'clock. Might go down the pub before it finishes. Probably a good idea. Uh, so you fancy what, a comfortable defeat? I don't fancy a comfortable no, defeat. Do you think that's a likely outcome? I think it's a likely outcome. They are a premiership team, unlike that shower we had in the last round. Yeah, I, I fancy a, a, a dull nil-nil draw or 1-1 again against Carlisle or possibly a 1-0 defeat. I think that's what might happen because that's what we're doing at the minute. Um, Tottenham, heart and head saying different things. I think we'll probably lose comfortably 3-0, 3-1, something like that. What a replay would be would be great news on two counts that we get a game at Elland Road that isn't against the likes of Wickham and isn't against Carlisle and the JPT but actually has a chance of a sellout and also it would help square ball sales because we get another bumper crowd and be able to, um, well, some people might stand outside if they I'm not going to do anything as ridiculous as that. I'll just go and watch the game. <laughs> so coming back to you then, I'll do what's your prediction for it. We never quite got your predictions. 2-0 um, Tottenham. Um, the lottery that's the JPT is yeah. hard to predict, isn't it? it it's 9-all. Yeah. <laughs> it could happen. It suggests there might be some entertainment in it, though, which I really don't think there is. It's completely dry. Is the, uh, the the well of entertainment in the JPT? I, I Each game has been just terrible, really. There's um, been sort of reserve football. Results seems to have been fairly well in the bag early on. I think I can't remember all the games. Yeah. Who we played? Darlington. That's probably shows just how entertaining. Accrington. Yeah, we've 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 kind of been comfortable in all of them, but without looking at all impressive. I should have specified my prediction is for a dire eight all. <laughs> <laughs> we'll leave that one there then move on to uh, back to business in many ways let's just get the cup games out of the way back to business Tuesday the 26th of January Swindon away notes on this one Douglas Sheehan and Lucas all connected to Leeds so that means they're, they're a surefire bet to win they've only lost one at home actually this season and they don't don't concede many sort of on the edge of the playoffs is that is that the game where we need to stand up and be counted that one really I think so they've been playing well there's odds on one of them going to score Probably not Lucas. <laughs> um, but again, yeah, we need to bounce back. Um, after two poor performances, a win could be good um, against Carlisle, just for confidence. Yeah. But um, That is the problem with this sequence of fixtures, is trying to get some momentum going again. Because Carlisle, nobody's looking forward to Carlisle, even if we win. Tottenham is just, it's impossible to know. It's a cup game. It's an FA Cup match, so it's it's, it's a lottery. lottery they would say. Yeah, and then you get to on ITV. And if and if we uh, if we lose that one, then that means that's two defeats in four games, assuming we don't lose to Carlisle, and it it suddenly doesn't look very good. The thing that gives me optimism is that they've got Lucas in that. It was probably one of the worst keeps I've <laughs> ever seen at Leeds, actually. So if he if he's first choice, you've got to think they're maybe not that good. 
But yeah, they've, they've been doing very well this year, to be fair to them. Well, I will. I'm going to ask you for your predictions for Swindon away. Come to you first, Michael, the, the Oracle over there. <laughs> Probably, depending on uh, how things are going before, I might either be happy to stop the rot with a uh, with a draw or fancy a win. But we'll win it. Why not? I'm going to go on to a stick again. I, I, you know, After I, some misery, I'm going to go for that again. <laughs> I, I admire your confidence because I think we're going to win that one, actually. Um, and this is where we get the season back on track. And I think we're going to win it 2 0 or 2 1, just to pluck a random score out of my head. Yeah. Oddie, go on then. 3 uh, 0 leads. And Moscow, your prediction on that? I was actually going to say 3 0 as well. I what? think it just feels like a game that we're going to win. And I don't think 3 0. I think once we once we go ahead. Although that's what we thought against Wickham, isn't it? <laughs> Once we get ahead, it will be easy. Uh, I don't know. It might it might benefit us to play a team because they do, they are good at home. It might hopefully be a bit more adventurous and not play a five man midfield against us. Mm. So I think that is something we we come up against all the time now. Okay, so last one in this uh, run of games in this upcoming fortnight. Uh, the same day that the next issue of the magazine is coming out, Saturday the thirtieth of January, Colchester at home. Uh, just some information to throw out at you there. Another Category A match, which must be delightful for the wallets of the of the fan base. And um, Colchester, second best defence in the league after us. Is it going to be another boring nil-nil, or should we expect another 8-8? There's so much that could happen. Colchester, I think this business of Colchester and the best defence in the league is a is a bit of a red herring, because they, they took the best defence of the league to Norwich on Saturday, and it didn't do them much good. And I think if we've got some form back over the next three games, then we should be able to see him off easily. Depending on what happens beforehand, yeah, we should it, go for a comfortable home win, but it's always likely to be anything else as we, well. We could be dropping out the playoff positions by that time. <laughs> Oddie, I'll come to you then. Uh, a win. Extend that unbeaten home run. Should be, but... You never know. You never know. Probably win at Swindon, lose at home, mix things up, heart attacks all round. It's just hard to call, isn't it? Yeah, I, I'm gonna, do you know what? I'm going to go nuts on the line now and say we'll win that Swindon game and we'll win against Colchester I'm glad other people are actually making proper predictions this this time <laughs> whereas it was just me last time confidently predicting wins and <laughs> but there's no, ba- like an idiot. There's no oh. basis in logic for any of my predictions no. it's just uh, because Leeds United is just so it's such a random thing isn't it you just don't know what's going to happen over the course of four games it's a waste of a section some of us say <laughs> <laughs> randomly throwing numbers at things but you know we might have to rethink this feature <laughs> what have we predicted so far a dire 8-8 a 9-9 we don't know what will happen probably the best place to tie it up I think uh, don't forget if you want to get in touch with us you can do uh, via email podcast at the squareball.net you can get us on Facebook as well just search for the square ball and you can get us on Twitter now as well uh, go to twitter.com forward slash the square ball uh, current issue of the magazine, God, still Chris, Christmas cover, uh, is still available now. You can get that online via the squareball.net. It'll be um, available next Christmas as well. Yeah. <laughs> we'll be, uh, still be selling it. Same cover, assuming that Mr Bates is in charge of the club. Uh, the next one's coming out Saturday the 30th against uh, the mighty Colchester, uh, in which we've got the interview with Danny Mills, subject to uh, solicitor's approval. Um, another feature in there, 10 best games of the noughties as well, should make for a good read. From uh, Batilad, one of our uh, our regular writers, and your Moscow, your review of the ninety five ninety six season, which contained that horrible, horrible trip to Wembley. Yes, I've tried to make it readable, or at least bearable to the end. But um, any complaints, uh, direct them to uh, Thomas Brolin rather than to me. Or Wilco. Or Wilco. Yeah, it's. I've made it some as something of a a eulogy for Howard Wilkinson since 
uh, the feelings about that League Cup final are that that's when his um, his tenure at Leeds really did just end that afternoon. And um, rewatching it, I know. Uh, thanks to the flying pig on the forum for dragging up the highlights, <laughs> such as they were on YouTube, which I sat through. And then there's the interview with Howard Wilkinson after the game that I watched as well, where you you almost just want to you want to give him a put your arm round him and tell him it's going to be all right. Or pull the curtain round and shoot him, <laughs> you know, like a, a lame horse, because I think that was it, wasn't it? The end there. It was it, and then. Uh, um, the promises to uh, to get the season back on track, and we went and lost eight games in a row. It's um, yeah, it's a, it was a good read. I recommend it to everybody. We should just never play at Wembley. I think. Ever. Yeah, looking forward to the JPT final if we get there. And that's probably about it. To buy the magazine, get subscriptions with the magazine, back issues, the chat forum, all that sort of stuff available via the squareball.net. Thank you to Radio Air as always for the studio use, and goodbye to you other chaps in the studio, Michael Normanton. Bye bye. Paul O'Dowd, a.k.a. Oddie. Goodbye. And Daniel Chapman, Moscow Line. Goodbye. Uh, next podcast, as we mentioned, Wednesday the 2nd or Thursday the 3rd of February, depending on Spurs replay. And we will see you then. The Square Ball Podcast. Podcast.